all begins with, with, with Old Testament, which is why I always repeat that. The greatest, the, the greatest, the first real book text on critique of ideology is the book of, how to pronounce it, Job, the guy who got screwed up by God and so on. Can you imagine what an incredible book this is? You know what happens, no? Everything goes wrong for Job, uh, he, he lo loses, and that's how it's written in the Bible. His sheep, his cows, his chicken, his wife, and so on, they come after, you know? So he loses everything, and then ideology enters. You remember, three wise men that you obviously like. But no, I, I, yeah. I, I'm, I'm, no. Not, I, I'm, I'm quite sure that I don't like them anymore. Okay. Okay, Three, I mean, you, you, have each of them, you have converted yeah. me. Each of them proposes to Job precisely an ideological formula which gives some meaning to his suffering, no? The first one says, God punished you, so you must have done something wrong, even if you don't know what, look deeper into yourself. The second one basically says, this is, God is testing you, persists, blah, blah. His suffering has a meaning. And it's interesting if you read it carefully. Job's defense is not, no, I'm an innocent guy. He just cannot accept that this stupid catastrophe, calamity that hit him has any deeper meaning. Then ah, the that, miracle. So, so that's it. Yeah. Then, Wisdom is against yeah. the notion that there is yeah. something containable like deeper yeah, meaning. Yeah, wisdom brings meaning always. You know, wisdom says, oh, you maybe all this suffering seems to you meaningless, but it has a deeper meaning, whatever. But you know what's the miracle then? God comes then, as you know, and says everything that those three idiots said is wrong, everything that Job says, all the complaints are, he was right. That's the first wonderful rehabilitation of critique of ideology. Then it goes even further. Then, just read the Bible. You young people should learn from it. <laughs> then Job nonetheless asks the obvious question. No? But, okay, but nonetheless, why did you screw me up? Why did I suffer? And then comes God's famous answer, you know, that arrogant. Where were you when I created this monster, that, whatever? This is usually read as a simple uh, divine arrogance, like, who are you to talk to me? I'm infinitely above you. Ah, my favorite Catholic theologist, Gilbert Keith Chesterton, gives a wonderful, totally opposite reason. He said that God's answer is really, you think your life was a catastrophe, but look at all the creation, it's one great nightmare, I screwed up everything, you know. <laughs> like, it's kind of a God's confession, it's all chaos, it's not only you. And you see, this is anti-wisdom there, and you, Jews, I say this, yeah, yeah, with, you know you, it. You say this with affection. Yeah. yeah. Uh, um, no, no, seriously, no. let me tell you very short. Another, my favorite story, my Jewish friends, Udi Aloni and others, uh, explained to me this. You know that in Talmud, you have two times the same story. In my new book, you find all the quotes and so on, which is incredible. Two rabbis debate about certain, I don't know which, theological point. And I warn you, this is not humor, joke, or blasphemy. This is sacred stuff of, uh, of Jewish tradition. And one who is losing the argument says, wait a minute, why don't we call God 
to resolve. You know, it's like at the beginning of Woody Allen's, uh, uh, Woody Allen's Any Hall, you know, when they debate uh, Marshall McLuhan, I think, and Marshall yeah, yeah. McLuhan. And then God comes, and before even God starts to answer, the second rabbi, who didn't want to call God, starts to shout at Jehovah. Like, basically, I translate it really, fuck off, old guy. You created the world, you screwed it up, you did your work, leave it now to us wise scholars to debate it. You don't. And you know what then happens? Jehovah says, oh my God, they are right, they are right, and runs away. <laughs> this is miracle. This is what I'm talking you about. Know, it's, so funny. I mean, you, it's so funny. You do should... you know that? I, I don't, but it's so funny you should mention. It's not a joke, this. This story is even told in two versions, but let's drop that. And it's funny that you, you mentioned Woody Allen, because I'm thinking that one of your rants against wisdom makes me think that it's a, wisdom is too rosy. It's too sweet. It offers consolation. And in some way, you're fighting that. No, no but I think you're fi fighting the notion of consolation. You, you know that line of Woody Allen, where he ends up a stand-up comedy. He does. He says, "I'd like to leave you on a positive note. Will you accept two negatives?" Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But let's go. Let's go back. No, but for Woody Allen has this anti-wisdom. For example, you yes. know, which is one of his favorite lines for me. Maybe you know it. Like he says, "People can achieve immortality in different ways." through your great deeds, heroic deeds, through your works of art, through your sacrifice. He said, I want to be immortal so that I just don't die. <laughs> so, this is the second of at least two podcasts on this uh, this interview with uh, Zizek and uh, we want to go a little deeper into uh, wisdom and what a wise man is and uh, and uh, I think we've got a couple of questions maybe we could ask um, but the one that I had in listening to the, the portion on Job was um, relating to his friends uh, you know, who are obviously the ones that God critiques. Um, and then relating to, you know, whether or not there's an ideal wisdom or a divine wisdom, the question would be like, if there's a, if there is a fake wise man and there is a real wise man, what, what is the distinction between the two in terms of, uh, uh, in terms of cognition? Like what's happening in the, in the wise man's mind? what is in the mind of the wise man? Like if a wise man comes with a saying, like in the first portion that he spoke about, the the wise man comes when you've risked everything and you've failed, he comes and says, well, that's because you've risked everything. Or if you succeeded, he said, that's why you, you risked everything so you succeeded. Like what's in the mind of that wise man? And then, you know, in, in, in the Christian faith, we understand uh, an ideal wisdom, uh, like from Proverbs, there's a few different mediums in Proverbs. There's the woman who embodies wisdom, and then there's, there's countless times where the wise man is described or the wise man's actions are described. And, and uh, it's common in Christianity to have a, uh, have a perspective on a true wise man or the, the possibility of a true wise man, what he, what he thinks 
and Christ obviously being like the embodiment of that. But if there is a difference between Job's friends and Jesus, right, which we would consider that an obvious distinction, what what is it that's happening in his friend's mind and in you know and in Christ's mind? If Christ comes with a wise saying, um, and the first thing that comes to mind is like, is a person's wise sayings are they? Is there a uh, is there a a self-serving reason for his wise wise sayings? Like, does a wise man have himself in mind when he has his wise sayings? You know, or is it an altruistic thing? Is a is a wise saying an attempt to help someone else? Whether it's you know you know misguided or it misses the mark or it actually harms the person, does the, is the intent to help them, right? Or is the intent to to promote yourself? And uh, to me, I, I I mean my what I what I thought about this week was that that is the distinction that true wisdom is, lies somewhere in that realm of altruism. Like you'll you'll be very careful in your why statements or in how you give advice or when you give advice if if what's in your heart and in your mind is the well-being of the person that you're speaking to, right? And I don't know about retrospect, like if a wise man were to have a summary of an event or a catastrophe or something or were to bring, you know, to prescribe some kind of a meaning, like Zizek's saying, like to bring meaning to someone's turmoil, like it's pretty obvious that that's a very touch-and-go situation, so if if in your mind if you're a wise man and in your mind is the well-being of that other person then obviously like how they'll receive your statements will be huge and just flinging around your take on the universe and on their situation is not necessarily going you know you don't have their well-being in mind if all you're concerned with is flinging around your take and uh and you know further and you know just to draw the distinction I think that it's obvious to me that this kind of easy uh blanket uh how did you say it david like the blanket statements to to define uh like a morsel of truth for people or to give someone a morsel of truth for their situation or their path like oftentimes that you know that type of sophistry is only to promote your own you know your own uh, uh reputation it it's it's obvious to me that a fake wise man has his reputation in mind when he talks he wants to be seen as wise he speaks in riddles he has like a a purely esoteric like language format you know he's he's speaking he's his dark sayings are so that people will think he's wise you know that's part of this what Zizek's talking about like this guy that is you know is is always willing to have, um, uh, to have a uh, a smart saying that will define the situation. What about silence? You know, like you'd say to someone who has some take on an event, you'd say like, "Yeah, but I could say it this way." So why'd you say it that way? You know, like, why don't you just be quiet? You don't know what's actually going on. And what What do you care, anyways? Like, why are you trying to give me this morsel? You know, are you trying to help me? Because if you're trying to help me, 
you would like think about it in a little more of a circumspect manner. You would, you would, you would slow down. You're obviously looking for something to say. You know, you want, you want to say something. You trying to appease me? Are you trying to comfort me? Giving me a quote unquote wise phrase right now is not comforting, you know? And, uh, anyways, like, uh, yeah, it, it, to me, the distinction is just simple. I mean, I think I've made my point like two or three times. Is it the other person's well-being in, you know, that's in your mind? Or is it, you know, the fact that other people would see you as wise that's, you know, promoting your speech? And, uh, yeah. What do you guys think about that? Or, or what did you, what do you think about the question of what's in a wise man's mind? You know? Do you think it was that way for all three of Job's friends? Because you've got um, Eliphaz, Bildad, and Zophar, right? Mm -hmm. And Zophar was the third one who was really like going at Job mm. and, and trying to tell him off. And he quit after two rounds of inquiry, whereas the other two went for three. Mm. I really wonder, I mean... I agree with you a lot of times in this trite wisdom there's it's just you're saying something because you want to look good but I think maybe um, it's almost said as like a mechanism like a conditioned response sometimes mm -hmm. um, because there are people in in my life I'm sure and others that they care mm -hmm. and they say what they're supposed to say mm -hmm. and they think that'll help and it, it doesn't, but you don't really blame them because you know they mean well. Mm -hmm. Even if what they're saying is really, you know, it just doesn't fit. It's like putting a shoe on your hand or something. But are they promoting themselves as wise? Are they saying, like Jesus says, this is a wise, this is a wise statement? I think so. I think in that case, you know, they realize, okay, well, this is what we say about this situation, so this is the wise saying. Mm -hmm. You know, like, don't throw your pearls before swine. Why would you go to college? You know, mm -hmm. why, <laughs> why, why, why would you go to a secular college? Well, they, they care, and they don't want to see people get hurt, and they're also probably ignorant of how the world functions like how people feed themselves these days mm -hmm. um, so you're saying it's nuanced i'm saying it's it's nuanced like <laughs> there are people who will say wise sayings that are not wise for more reasons than just self-aggrandizement i think yeah and i would agree like a lot of times they they don't think i'm saying this so that you'll think I'm wise as much as like, this will help you see God's plan. Right. This will help you see the bigger picture. This will help you, you know, uh, turn your eyes towards the things that are. And I mean, in my experience, the, the people who've spoken into my life in that, in that way. And, and, you know, I've often thought, I really think they're trying to help me engage 
God's will, God's calling. I, I don't know what those words mean as, as much as I think I used to, but right. um, I think they're, they actually are trying to engage you uh, on a level of something that's like really important and eternal. Yeah. I don't think they're trying to say like, this is the wise saying and like, you should think I'm wise. Like, I don't think it's self-import all the time. I think that your so your situation, both of yours, you guys have uh, Christians in your life that I think that are governed by other people's well-being. I'm not necessarily talking about that. Like Job's friends are not are not necessarily, you know, doctrinally sound. Number one, and whereas they might be, they might be, it might be nuanced. I think everything is nuanced, especially when it comes to what people say and do. They don't even know what they're doing, but. I think his friends, though you could say like their their speeches with a purpose to, you know, settle Job or direct Job or get him get him up off on his feet and back in the game, like they're um, they're kind of stuck on one side of the coin. It's pretty obvious when you read it that there's that each of them has an ideology yeah. that they're driving home. Do you and recall what those were i know zophar was big on guilt eliphaz's name i think means god is god is gold or god is just or something like that like each of them had a particular take do you recall i don't the breakdown of it i don't i okay. i don't i don't like zizek's re recollection of it i find that it's a little short-sighted especially like w the way he brings in gk chesterton I think that he misunderstands the gravity of 40 to 42, of yeah. Job 40 to 42. It really is, I don't see it as divine arrogance, but it is definitely, it's definitely like a, you don't really know what's going on, Job. Yeah. And I know what's going on. I was there. Like, God's and definitely not calling himself incompetent. Like no. Like he suggests. Yeah. And Zizek goes on to say it a few different ways, like, he go he goes on in talking about the the um the the um hadith not the hadith the, not the torah but what's the um what talmud it, the talmud he goes on to talk about two stories in the talmud where these theologians like scare scare god off and god like runs away saying yeah you're right i screwed everything up and i think zizek kind of parades that stuff he's obviously got an you know a a secular you know, a well-developed secular understanding of religion, which you, is problematic. Do you think Zizek is a postmodernist? Uh, postmodernist. Because he's, I mean, his interpretation of this is like, you have Job's three friends who have an ideology. We're rejecting that framework that they're seeing the world through. Job is trying to authentically communicate his suffering to God, and God commends it in Zizek's view. Yeah. So Job's experience is more important than his friend's framework of understanding and god in zizek's mind is validating job's experience over any understanding of the world which hmm. i don't i think that's a wrong way to read it but it's a very postmodern way to read it i hadn't thought of it like that that's an interesting way to think about it what is he saying about reality that these men's ideology needs to be refuted? Do you know what I'm saying? Like, what is he getting at when he when he's saying this that 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 reality would refute, would refute ideology? 
especially these these ideologies. Right. So they're just talking out their took us ears. That part of the situation is is not helpful unless it aligns with truth. Like because a truly wise man is not always saying everything that's in his mind. And a truly wise man, like God is not constantly saying, God leaves us to find things out. God leaves space to discover. God, it's, it's God's wisdom that people would find the error of foolishness or that some people would be confounded by certain things and other people would be kept from their foolishness. It's not always, if God is wisdom, I'll say it this way, if God is absolute wisdom, that wisdom is not constantly being injected into into the subjective agents in this room. God lets us figure things out. So if God has all knowledge and he's not giving it to me in every moment, then somehow that is wise, right? So if if someone with an ideology can't refrain from plugging their ideology... I think me and Andrew's point was that they don't look at it the way you're, you're describing it. Maybe it's right. true not like consciously, that behind the curtain. But, but that but doesn't that's matter. that's how they look at it. I but, think that was me and Andrew's point, not that we have believers in our life that are refuting what you're saying but we actually think they're coming from a genuine place they're like they're not, not being divisive yeah. well or they're not trying to plug an ideology they actually think they're helping you get in line with reality which but is so were saying. job's friends no well i think yeah they were well no 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 hold on hold on that that's true that job's friends were trying to help him by plugging their ideology they didn't think of it as an ideology and nobody really thinks of their th- their method of thinking is ideology, but that's what they were doing. They, whether they had his best interests in mind or not, they believe that this take that they had was what Job needed to hear, right? I think that they're uh, the two uh, that Matt and Andrew were uh, balancing out what you said because your your the way you started out was there's two views or there's two reasons that you would um, speak and claim wisdom and one is based on reputation and the other is more altruistic Mm -hmm. and they're both pointing out examples that seem much more altruistic where even if the uh, people that spoke in the name of wisdom uh, they they might not have fully seen the consequences of what they were promoting yet their heart where they were not defending reputation they were not necessarily defending like, oh, I'm doing this because I want them to be in the fold or in the certain path. They were doing it because they thought that this was, it came out of altruism, which would kind of seem to say that even if you are altruistic, uh, that doesn't mean that the wisdom is coming from the right place. So, uh, Well, it's an attempt at it coming from the right place. It's just that you have the wrong footing. Right. 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 But, but don't you think that like somewhere in there is... Uh, is your take is the thing that that person needs to hear. But they yeah. don't think of it as theirs. They think of it as like the eternal perspective. But, but that's not that's not the point. But but I'm. But it is their ideology. I think we're vindicating. We're vindicating people that we know. Everyone in this room. Uh huh. That that may speak into our lives in situations maybe not as crazy as Job's situation, but in our own tragedies or yeah. trials. I don't think that, at least on a conscious level, that those people are trying to plug ideologies or look a certain way. I think they're coming from a place of care and concern. Okay, but all right, hold on. It, say, say your next-door neighbor is 
a Scientologist, right? Mm-hmm. And the ideology that he's steeped in is where he gets his worldview. Right. And the way that he is altruistic is through his knowledge of the world around him. It's, it's the filter for how he would be altruistic. His understanding of the destiny of mankind and your specific problem are somehow intertwined. So any wisdom that he's going to give is through his ideology. So how are we defining altruism? Before we keep going forward, I'm just curious because I, I might have misunderstood what you were saying. I was saying, the, uh, does a wise person... Okay, so... First of all, Zizek's take, and I think we've gotten away from it, is the sophist who, who his effort is to, is to give a wise phrase for a situation, to bring meaning to someone's trouble or to someone's success, to be the one with, you know, with the narration of the scene, you know. That's somehow, that's what he's describing. I'm not saying I believe that's wisdom. I'm saying that's what he's saying. Mm-hmm. Hey, and it's easy to see that. And we see it in people around us, not everyone and not in an absolute way, but we've seen it. We've all seen it. I've seen it in myself many times. I was saying the opposite of that or the ideal opposite of that, which we believe in, is the wisdom that would come from the creator that would have all knowledge, right? And we believe that that being has our best interests in mind. You know, whether it's a hard saying or whether it's not, it's a, it's our best interest in mind. So if a truly wise man, if the wise man from Proverbs, the absolute wise man were to say something to us, it would not be for self-promotion. It would be the complete opposite of that. It would be the only reason he's saying it to another being is for that being's sake. And you don't think that the examples we're giving are, are thinking exactly what you're saying. This is for their sake. But but did you hear the example? The example is someone with all knowledge. So you're talking about someone stuck in the middle who has ideology that they're struggling with, which is the middle ground. And ideology is an interesting thing because ideology is wrapped up in your ego, having a take on the universe. And if your Scientologist neighbor, non-Christian Scientologist neighbor, really believes that Xenu, you know, whatever the volcano and the atomic bombs and the 747 or whatever and all that stuff he really believes that like you need to take your life the bull by the horns and like find wellness and get clear and all this stuff like if he believes this this ideology that that is having knowing what's going on in the world around you is just plain it's not egotism but it is attached to your ego because you're in the driver's seat just a little bit more so when it comes to your buddy next door neighbor that you really do care about, right, then your sayings to him are going to be along the lines of what you know, right? Whether you're right or not is inconsequential to the fact that it's going to come out of your mouth. You believe it and it's going to come out of your mouth. You haven't allowed in the moment, you're not thinking in an objective way about, about the way that your worldview connects to what you're going to say, Right. So, I want to, like, break down what we're looking at. So, we're talking about a communication of wisdom that is false, like Job's friends. You've got the communication itself, which is based on their their beliefs, an ideology, right or wrong, right? Yep. When you have a certain set of beliefs, you have them, you can't change that. And then you have, well, you... 
that you if you're <laughs> stuck in it you right. can't unstuck right. yourself and, and then you have like the kairos of that communication that rhetorical episode the the time and place and appropriateness mm -hmm. right so are we talking about the wisdom of understanding the appropriateness of saying anything or are we talking about the wisdom of getting your facts straight hmm. that is a poignant question that, well i think both of those come into come into play right because even god has timing so even if you have right. all the facts there's timing right but if you have timing and your facts are bad then you have another problem right so the question on whether your fa facts are right are probably the premier question and if you're positive which is part of my skepticism you're positive that you have the facts right right if you're positive i don't know how you're positive but if you are so, i mean there's some that are kind of basic like my kid don't run out in the street right it's i'm positive it's a bad idea there's a car right there so there's a there's a spectrum of this. I'm not saying it's impossible. It's entirely possible. Wisdom. I really believe in wisdom. I, I, I we're trying to redefine it. I think because Zizek's taking a word that we've all and it's why this guy is having such a trouble with following Zizek and he why his mind's so blown because the the word wisdom is attached to like how a person relates to reality whether they do it in a skillful manner which we said last time and then how it how they disperse it to people around them. But so I'm so it's obvious that he's taking a certain a certain phenomenon that happens in culture and in just in in society where where someone someone wants to be the man with the vision someone wants to they they want to be the guy saying the thing you know having the angle like we said last time you know like breaking breaking down something Simple, oversimplifying something very nuanced so that it can be handed to someone in, in a particulate manner, you know. So the, the thing we're trying to critique is the lack of pause or self-doubt? That, I think that's part of it. Like, if you really care about the other person, you're going to have a measure of self-doubt of whether you should say something or not. It, obviously, also on a spectrum, you know. Because if I see something, I know for a fact, like that's why knowledge of what you're saying is important. I know there's a car coming. There's no debate. Get out of the street. It's a wise saying, <laughs> you know, get out of the street. And it has my son's, you know, my son's well-being in mind, you know, um, and it's not about me being the guy saying it. I'm saying it because you're in the street and there's a car. Right. Like that's essentially a divine wisdom in a sense. I have I have all knowledge about the fact that there's a car coming down the street, right? Um but but there's a lot of gray area, which is what we're talking about. Whether someone has a well-being in mind or not, which is what Dave is saying, is somehow not really the issue in a lot of in a lot of situations and why, Dave? Why is it not the issue? Is it because is it because they can be they can misrepresent their heart in what they're saying or is it because they can mislead somebody even though they care or like why like yeah, it's a lot easier to um point out a, like if we talk about like a who's not a wise man it's a lot easier to point out a guy who's spouting off his mouth 
because he wants like you can obviously see it's about his reputation yeah and so that's kind of almost the straw man in the room right now it's like it's easy to do that but as soon as we go over into the gray zone where you know people uh do care about you and they're, what they're saying they have reason to believe that it it's like it's a deeper word it's something beyond just their experience or your experience and they're looking to to kind of add something to your to your situation we were talking about how uh how there's or i guess Jujak was the one talking about how um <clears throat> there's this desire to give meaning to a situation and and that like if that can be called wisdom that's like awesome like hey if i bring wisdom into this that gives meaning to the situation how we all want to do that and that can be dangerous um yeah, it's, I, I, I see that danger. I just can't quite say that it's them trying to somehow bring themselves into it. And, and not it, only it's that, very altruistic. Not wittingly, and, though. Yeah, right. No, but it's not very only altru- that, but you also have, and I'm sorry to cut you off. This is just mm-hmm. something I, I want to say before I forget it, because um, I have, like, the memory of a goldfish. <laughs> um, they are doing it based on the Bible being the true authority this is what i'm saying is like if you take someone away from your specific doctrinal paradigm just shift it one over to islam right someone is steeped in it it's not their fault in one sense that they were born into an islamic family their take is wrapped it's it's wrapped into their identity so when they come in the room is it wittingly self-promotion no it's much more gray than the sophist right but it is it's not pure altruism because it, he, he, you're giving your your take on how someone should see their life. But what if they think it's God's take and it's not their take? Like they're removing the, the eye from it. It it doesn't matter though because it subconsciously you're wrapped up into it. It it has to be that way. So you're looking strictly from a philosophical perspective of sub- subjective and objective. Like no, you no. Are, you're subconscious and conscious. Point. So are we trying to... Oh, I see what you're saying. Yeah, 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 yeah. You're seeing it from your point. Yeah, and sure. because it's through your Well, that's lens, what Jesus is saying. It's a subjective thing. Wisdom okay, is see, inherently subjective, or the crap wisdom he's talking about it. It's like infinitely subjective. So why are you... to scale the theological wall, and I think you were just coming at it no, from a purely not interested philosophical in that. standpoint. Yeah, no, here's what I'm saying. I'll okay. just clarify, and then I'm going to shut up for a while, because you guys have a lot to say. <laughs> but w- when we talked about it last time, the thing I kept saying was... The particulates of wisdom are actual pieces of, of things that are valuable. When he gave the four examples about eternity in the temporal world, we said this last time, like each of those examples is true from a different point of view at a different time. They're valuable. Okay. So I'm not denying that they're not valuable. What I'm denying is that, that, uh, that you're taking something that's subjective because it only relates to a certain point of time and a point of reference at a point in time. And you're saying, this is the transcendent view. No, it's not all four of them. It's this one. This is the, the wise saying, right? The wise saying. This is the take for you. This is the truth. For, this is the verse for you in Christianity or whatever. Mm-hmm. But something that is infinitely subjective, you know, to put it on an infinitely objective level to take something that is all about situation and timing right and to say it's the take it's the view it's like you're really flipping the whole thing on its head and it's unfair so like if that's your thing 
It's to make the absolute, make, make the subjective into an absolute and give it to people. Like that is, that is a purely selfish thing to do. Because if you were to think about it for two seconds, you would recognize that there's a few different ways to look at this. And I'm not quite sure the right way to look at this. I know what's been useful for me. But as soon as you say that to someone, you know, what's been useful for me is that's the complete opposite of this is the wise saying. It's the total opposite. You, maybe it's semantic, but if you were to take them to their extremes, when you say this is the wise saying, I'm the wise man, there's how could I, how could I be refuted if I'm the wise man? You know, this is where you get like real problems. And that's why the Scientologist that comes over, even though he loves his neighbor, he wants to give him some, you know, advice for his life. This really helped Tom Cruise. Look at him. He's jumping on the couch at Oprah's house. Like, look, it's Tom Cruise. If you just like get your stuff together and like see the world positively, you're going to have an effect on everything around you. Your destiny is like in your hands and all this stuff. It's like, you know, you're just like, I understand this is edifying. I understand this is like positive for you, but you're plugging this like, do you have you thought for a second that you could be wrong about everything you think like i i i admit that i could be wrong i mean my trouble has brought me to my knees why wouldn't your you know intellectual prosperity bring you to yours like why wouldn't you be more humbled by having the truth you know anyways that's my take but i i want to hear what you're saying now about the gray area of christians around you because i wasn't ready to talk about that <laughs> so go ahead no i'm just all i'm no, go ahead, Dave. We don't have Dave post with us all the time. I want to hear what he is. No, I was just thinking it might be uh, easier to kind of shade out certain areas of the darker gray than to kind of swim in the gray too much. Like a lot of the things we talked about last week or you guys talked about uh, uh, can be kind of more easily pointed to as, hey, this seems like an improper motive or check yourself if this is you versus kind of just every uh shade of gray i mean i don't i don't know if that makes sense but like for instance i i was really struck by how often in my own life or how often we want to out of uh kindness maybe it's not true love and it needs to be clear you know like why am i speaking to someone uh am i trying to just help him out by hey if i can put this in some sort of context for him whether it's true or not it'll help him out Hmm. you know and like, and think that that's wisdom just because, hey, I can say something to him and it's going to get him through the day. Whereas if it's not wisdom, that's actually going to send him down the wrong path. That's not going to help him one bit, you know, like that being something, that's one area that you can just see like, wow, that's, that's in each one of us, but that's not wisdom. Like that was the question to begin with. Like what's not wisdom. Okay. So first you got the, the proud man who it's clear that this has more to do with his reputation than anything else. And, you know, put strike him out. But then how about the altruistic person who is not looking at the depth of what they're saying and saying it's wise or thinking it's wise because it gets through this situation and gives some sort of context or meaning to the situation. Yet, is it or is it not truthful? You know, right timing, wrong content. Right? Yeah. And I, I think maybe that's a very... Um, I mean, from, for me, it's a productive thought process is what are those areas of gray that are clearly actually not gray, but black that still we're, we have this motivation to like go that route within our own life. I mean, somebody asked me last night what, how I would define this, uh, 
phrase hyper spirituality i think from a linguistic standpoint it doesn't make a, a ton of sense like to be overly active spiritually and it's like a bad thing but in theory i think what it's what it's saying is that somebody would be reading into things that aren't there and i think that's one of the things that job's friends did that we could say we would disagree with is like they engaged a narrative that you know wasn't really there and and they put you know um vocabulary to it and they they told job this is what's happening behind the curtain when they don't know what's happening behind the curtain they don't have the string that pulls those curtains back so i think like that question last night had me thinking about our podcast tonight like what is it about job's friends that is so frustrating it's that they they were they were engaging a narrative that wasn't there and calling it spirituality and i think the 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 gray area of wisdom that we're kind of reverently approaching is someone speaking into someone's life and calling it a wisdom um and and really seeing things that aren't there and like if they are there things that they're not privy to like like if it is true like behind the curtain that there's like an angelic conflict and all these things are happening and you know god is trying you like maybe that's actually true but for me to say that i know that's what's happening is i think where the self-import comes in yeah i think that's kind of what you were saying that's exactly what i was saying. okay so like for me to say oh the trial of your faith is more precious than gold man when my wife divorces me right first of all she could be divorcing me because I was a bad husband or, or because she found someone more interesting than me, you know, right. uh, it, there's a whole, you know, list of reasons it could be, or, you know, you know, maybe she's just sick of our marriage or maybe I'm a meathead, whatever. It could be anything. But to, for a guy to say, I know what's happening behind the curtain. The trial of your faith is much more precious mm. than gold. I think that's what we're saying about self import. And my only thing I was going back and forth with you, Dave, about was just that, there are people in my life that I don't think we're trying to to like bring that in as the take like and and to this day I can still remember certain things that they said that helped me mm. and there wasn't any weird motive like I got the saying check yeah. it out apply it to your life and then yeah. you know thank me later it was like hey I don't know like here's a thought and like this helped me when so and so died or yeah. when this when I went bankrupt or whatever and to this day I can still remember those wise sayings so that was all I was saying. But as far as what we're diving into now, uh, this is something I, over the last five years specifically, I'm getting more and more scared to do, which is speak into someone's life, engaging a narrative that's a complete mystery to me, and then expressing that narrative. And like when you said in the beginning, what is in a wise man's head? I was thinking a lot, but he also has this filter between what he thinks and what comes out of his mouth. And I think that's where the rubber meets the road with wisdom, maturity, balance. It's where, like, I have so many thoughts that I almost, I, like, can't even count them all. But, like, what I would say to another human being about their, you know, uh, dilemma or their spot in life is so limited and so small. And maybe won't even, I might have a hundred thoughts and not communicate any. And, like, that might be wisdom. Like that discretion you would have, that that tempered mindset where like not everything I say is gospel. So I should be really careful. And I might be deceived in my own head and then just like pass on the disease to other people. Yeah, like and, the Scientologist. Right. Well, I mean, it could be anybody with yeah. any worldview. They're, they could be deceived. A Christian could be. A Scientologist could be. A, a Buddhist could be. And then I'm I'm almost like perpetuating this error 
by training someone in that error and in that misinterpretation. And I think we've seen this in our own lives and others have seen it where somebody trains or disciples someone and they have a certain take. And that disciple is known by the fact that they took on that spirit, that mantle, quote unquote, that take. And then that error is perpetuated instead of someone going, time out, time out. How do we know that the guy who discipled the guy is right or the guy that discipled him was right? Like, like maybe we should be a lot more careful when we, you know, and I think that's what you're saying, Dave, was like, let's, when we approach, even if it's true that there is this, this narrative that is so far beyond the cosmos and is like in the clouds and it's real, like realer than our fingernails. Like, if that's true, I should, I should have like fear and trepidation when I'm approaching that, especially not, especially for someone else's life and, and also for my own, like. And that's where, like, uh, you know, like somebody loses a, a, a child or a loved one. The older I get, the more I don't want to say anything. Even if I know them super well, I'm afraid to talk. And, like, I remember when my mom died and someone quoted 1 Corinthians 15. Death, where is your sting? Oh, grave, where is your victory? And and I said to them, the sting is in my chest. And you're you're not even applying that chapter properly. That's when, like... Christ returns and all his enemies are under his feet. And then we're going to say, oh my gosh, like people are being raised from the dead and there's Christ and oh grave, you know, where is your sting? Oh my gosh, like it's real. The whole narrative was real the whole time. Mm. That's the moment when it won't sting anymore. But right now it really stings. So for a believer to say, this is the take on death, on suffering, on resurrection, here's the full perspective. And I'm going to just hand that to you as a gift. Right. It's it's actually like a you know it's, it might be wrapped up nice but it's like it's like dog poop for my suffering because it's not going to help me it's just going to make me feel worse about feeling worse and I think that's what I, I was like trying to bring in the balance of is that some people aren't doing that and they really aren't doing that and other people are and like how do we keep ourselves from being being the one who's just giving his take as the take you know boy I mean that's a lot to digest but. I got it out of my head before it disappeared. <laughs> I think that's, I think that's good. Hey, don't you think that that's kind of a skill though? That um, developing that capacity for understanding timing and circumstance, and caring about the effect that you're going to have on the emotions of the people around you when you say something, like that, is actually a subjective skill. Hmm. You kind of have to know a little bit about where other people are at. You kind of have to know a little bit about how people react to the words. Like, if I say something, is this person going to shrivel? Right. Uh, I don't think... I'm not so sure that that's an objectively definable skill. I, that, I think that's something you have to practice. Hmm. And uh, I'm not entirely sure that it's tightly coupled with you being factually correct Mm. i know people who i you know i might disagree with who are very decent people and aren't painful to be around (laughs) and i know people who are often right about most things and are really not pleasant to be around at all Mm. you know I don't I don't know that being factually correct and being wise in a social sense are are tightly linked. I think they have to be somewhat cuz in order to have sense you have to be able to work through 
situations in your head and thoughts and that involves your ideology but it's possible to have an ideology that would preclude you from doing such thinking and maybe suffering tempers us you know like tempers our uh, expression in situations like I feel that way like you know you you go through enough and you start to have pause either that or you double down (laughs) (laughs) hope it's not that but no you know what I mean though like you it's almost like personal suffering is is the pathway to being able to shut your mouth and only open it once in a while when you think it's a good idea or even when you feel it's a good a sense that it should be said I feel like without that personal suffering in your life maybe wisdom is inaccessible and not that you can only have wisdom if you've suffered because we know plenty of people who haven't suffered who stumbled onto it like like tripped over it like a rock but like the idea that like life crushing me gives me a certain posture towards people that are suffering that's uh that's kind of where where i fall in this discussion is like i'm beat up enough at this point in my life not to have like a pity party but like at this point in my life i've seen enough that i'm afraid to talk to people about their suffering because i don't even know what mine means or why or or if it's suffering or my own stupid decisions 20 years later catching up i don't know but do you understand what I mean? Like that maybe maybe people's uh, desire to say the wise thing is is the result of not being hit hard enough by life yet to know when to be quiet. It's the it's it seems to me like it's the corrosive thing. Like you said, like to pass on your mantle. If your mantle is error and your desire is to just pass on whatever you have sweet. Sorry. No, that's I good. knew it was coming. I could feel it. <laughs> um, what was I going to say? Passing on the the mantle of air. yeah. So it's like to me the corrosive thing is like you. Andrew gave the example of like some people are wrong all the time, but like they seem to be really agreeable, and then other people are right all the time, and I want nothing to do with them. But like, in what way are they wrong and right? Like, the guy that is always promoting his idea and it's wrong is not going to be agreeable, right? It's like the thing that's corrosive is to parade your take as the take, you know, to to give people a piece of your mind, you know, that's the corrosive thing, it seems to me. And like, and the person that's right all the time, he, I think he's more of like a blind squirrel finding a nut. Like he's, he's not inherently right all the time. He just happens to... You know, he he happens to have a systematic way of looking at things or a rational way of looking things that affords him, you know, a certain type of objectivity. And he's right right about things because of that, like which is essentially a a matter of luck that he's in that spot where he's a rational person. Like he might have had some work in there as well. But like the fact that he's not flung around by his, his emotions all the time is, you know, something he maybe didn't earn, you know be genetic could be genetic right but the point is is like to pass on like to for the thing that you're driven by if the thing that you're driven by is making sure that that your that your ideas don't die Hmm. right to make sure that you know whether you benefited from them or you just think that you benefited from them that desire to pass on a mantle to the next person 
like is where you need to take pause. Like Matt's saying, take pause. Why? Because it's wrong to pounce on your mantle. No, that's not why. Because I might just be wanting to pass on my ideas. I might not have a mantle. I might be completely full of it. Right. I would, I would want like there to be some self evidential way you know, to know that I'm passing on the right thing to someone. When I say to my kid, hey, get out of the road, there's a car company coming. I know that my mantle is a good one, you know, like it's solid. I know it without a doubt. You need to get out of the road. Like you're not going to, you know, the car is not going to turn into pixie dust when it hits you. I know <laughs> that this is a bad situation. Get the hell out of the road. But if I don't know, and if I'm not really honest with myself, if it's a gray area and I don't know, and my obsession is just making sure that the benefit of my knowledge is passed on. Like that is in that is like the most corrosive thing a person can have going on in their mind. Cause it has no it has there's truth is nowhere near that. Like all it is is desire. You, if you happen to have truth in your corner and you happen to be passing on something that's truthful. You're lucky, you know, but I if, think, yeah, what? I think I agree with you. Oh, cool. <laughs> <laughs> What's, uh, one other thing about that though, like, and just correct me if I'm wrong. Cause I, th I think this is what, I think this is what you're saying. Um, from the last podcast, you were mentioning something about, uh, how did it go? You were talking about, uh, once you have, once you grab it, you don't have it, which is the Socrates thing that you went back to, right? Like once you grab it, you don't have it. Like what, what is that talk? What is What's the structure there? Like what, what is the imagery? What's the vocabulary describing, um, like, where is the ego in that? Like, once you grab it, you don't have it. The ego grabs for itself, right? Like, the ego, it wants knowledge to, you know, uh, to self-authenticate, self-authenticate, or, uh, or to, you know, yeah. to use it as a device for self-promotion or something like that. The ego is looking for the next thing, the next you know, uh, the next, uh, cooperative, right. Looking for, for himself. So when it comes to grabbing something outside of himself, bringing it in, um, like if, if it, if it's truth that he's bringing in, you almost, it, the ego is like coming up against something else that's real, right? Like if, if the ego finds truth, right. If the ego is to be taught, Right. Someone endures if, if a prideful person endures a lesson right from another person, he endures it for the ego. Like I'm, I'm going to put up with this guy yapping because I'm going to take this and I'm going to run with it. You know, I'm going to use it for myself. He takes it on and then he gives that to the next person as a mantle. Right. He 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 endures the input just for for uh, gain. Right. His own gain. And once he's endured it, once it becomes part of him, then he's ready to give it to someone else. And he gives it to someone else as his own. And the point of saying this is just to say that the religious world and the metaphysical world, and when people venture into this, it, I, I, this is what I was saying in the beginning is like, 
it's inseparable from the ego. Like if God were to be, to humble me, that's like the opposite of what I'm saying is that God would make me a pure, a, you know, into a purely religious person or into a holy person by humbling me and giving me an understanding of my own situation and the way that he thinks, right? That's, that's not what I'm saying. But what I'm saying is that most people, when they venture into the religious world, it's in this, it's the ego is grabbing knowledge to get gain and pass it on as a, as a mantle. Is it happening in a conscious way? No, most people aren't thinking of it that way, getting ahead with religious concepts. But that is essentially what we're talking about is the self acquires knowledge and, and has to endure that, that moment because, you know, anyone telling the self what is or what is not is a difficult thing for the self to, 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 uh, to appropriate that knowledge, right? But once it has appropriated it, it owns it. And then it sells it, like what Zizek is saying. Anything, you can sh you can sell it as wisdom. You say anything, you can sell it as wisdom, right? You might have appropriated the knowledge and you've, you know, and it's become part of you. That's why it's inseparable from the ego. It's become part of you and it's become part of your ethos. And then you peddle it, right? And none of this is relating to truth. Zero. It has nothing to do with truth. It's an ideology. And just to go full circle on what I was saying, that the ideology, the promotion of the ideology has nothing to do with truth and is inherently uh, uh, insensitive. That, that event of promoting my, my ideology is an insensitive moment because I don't care if it's true or not. I just have already taken it on as truth. My ego has already dealt with the, you know, the humility of taking on an idea as its idea. Now I have the idea and you're, you're going to, you're going to hear my idea. I don't say this consciously, but this is the sub and unconscious version. That's why if that's why if, if I'm a Buddhist and my buddy's a Muslim and we're in this lady's, you know, we're in the Scientologist house and his mom just died and we're both like looking to say something, there's going to be a battle of egos. Even if we're both humble people, we'd be afraid that the other ideology would don't, you know, would dominate. And it's not just for the person's well-being. Maybe on the surface it is because we don't want them to go to Buddhist hell or, or, or Islamic hell or whatever. But like at the end of the day, it's a battle of ego ideology. It seems that way to me. Now it's it's super gray when you talk about the uh, the phenomenon of whether or not God has spoken to man through the Bible. That's a totally different idea, not right? Not only that, but in a lot of ideologies, the self is supposed to be dissolving, mm -hmm. and you're supposed to be becoming more godlike, or becoming more Christ-like, or becoming more like the Buddha, or becoming more like the Prophet Muhammad. Yeah. So I think that's where it gets hard for me to. To differentiate between what you're saying is like because in that moment the most quote christ-like thing or the most buddha-like thing or the most muhammad -like is selflessness thing is to be selfless yeah. and say the true thing mm -hmm. and it's in at least definitely not in a conscious way it's not a moment for my ego to flourish as much as a moment for my maybe my maybe my ego would like to not speak up and say anything because i'm terrified of the moment but like the thing to do would be to emulate you know, whoever the, you know, contemplative is in that yeah. moment. So I think it's hard, especially like 
on a, again, I speak from a Christian level just because that's what I grew up and that's what I know, but like, or what I don't know, but the idea of being conformed to Christ's image and him increasing and me decreasing, even though that might not be the best way to apply that verse, um, the self is, is kind of supposed to be taking a back seat to this sanctifying process. And in that, this kind of does become grayer, like how much of my ego is involved in doing the thing that I actually don't want to do. That's like contrary to what my natural ego would want to do in the situation. Cause like someone like Dave Post, for instance, in that moment, he, the last thing he wants to do is promote himself. Cause Dave is like terrified of moments like that. If you don't mind me saying that <laughs> on the microphone, but like, but like Dave might think, well, the thing that I should do, like what Christ would do would be to like, say the, the thing that I should say right now. Oh. Do you see what I mean? So it gets a little bit blurrier when it comes to the ego in the moment to say the true thing in that moment. Sorry. Um, Hold on. Say that again. So you're saying that the self is doesn't want to say what Christ would say because it's uncomfortable saying sometimes. anything. So when to say the thing that Christ wants to say is not a moment for the ego to shine. It's actually a moment for the ego to like retreat and for you to become the thing that you're. If you emulating. don't like talking. Yeah, and I, I use like Dave talk, as an example because yeah. he doesn't like talking. Which brings me to my next but, point. But Dave, Brian, what do you think about this? <laughs> I, would, I, I probably would disagree. I mean, I would probably disagree because I think pride and insecurity are correlated. They're the same thing. So one being insecure and then you flip the coin and you say something. I mean, that can both be pride in the same sense, you know. Like can if, you unpack that for me that you think that insecurity is a form of pride? Um, I, I see it as a... A form of self-preservation which is just a selfish feeling um, which is connected to pride um, so I think both could be uh, pride I mean huh so yes there I think there is a spiritual element we're talking about that could exist where you don't want to say something and and you feel that prompting but how rare is that prompting anything more than well it, how undefined it is to know if it's actually the self or you know part of a different right. side of you or if it's actually oh, Christ. That's tricky business being an extrovert i don't understand like i have to in my own head say like you shouldn't say something right now yeah so i don't have the like i don't want to say anything thing i mean well i do in some respects but like what what dave is saying about like having an insecurity that's really a pride like it's not something I'm you like can well relate acquainted to. with. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I don't know if I... It's, it really feels like my the same pride's vein, though. It feels like the yeah. part of me that doesn't want to speak doesn't want to speak because I'm worried I won't be accepted. But isn't and it the, the same thing? the part that speaks is the part that wants to be validated, which is the exact same. But so if we're talking about what's in... Moment, so someone who's shy. Yeah. So this is obviously not me. Everyone in the studio knows that. Like, <laughs> um, someone who's shy... You're saying it's not a bashfulness where I like don't want to make too much of a big deal out of myself because I feel like I know people like that. They like, they don't want to make a big deal of themselves. They don't want to be heard. They don't need to be heard. They're just kind of like comfortable in their own skin. Is is that different from what you're saying or are you saying that that could be a pride as well? Like someone who's just kind of like, look, I don't need to make a big deal out of myself. Like, like I just live my life and sometimes no. I speak up, sometimes I, I don't. I guess I can only speak from personal experience that I can tell that the difference in myself it's both it can go both ways where most of the times I don't speak because I really have nothing to say that I feel can add to the 
wisdom, you know. But is that wisdom? I don't have anything to say that could be wise. I think that's wisdom. Usually that's what I is. think. Knowing, well, knowing you've got nothing to say is wisdom. So that's not pride. But <laughs> right, but no. other times it's insecurity that you're not speaking. Aristotle touched on this a little bit when he said in ethics that shame is not virtuous. It just exists to keep youth from making mistakes. Like, in his view, that feeling of embarrassment, like, oh, I'm so small, I... Nobody wants to hear from me, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know, me, I, I am small, you know, unimportant me. You're just, you just, you still just get to say me a whole lot <laughs> rather than focusing on what's true and useful. Mm-hmm. You're still, oh, me, you know, <laughs> it's, <laughs> see, I have a lot to learn about the introverted soul. Cause it, I mean, my, my pride monster is, has different teeth. Huh. So I, I like I'm really interested in this conversation because I don't I feel like I, I need to be better acquainted with how it works because in my mind when someone's being quiet I just instantly assume they're more humble than I am like you're you're you clearly know what's going on if you're not talking because people who know what's going on don't usually talk that much <laughs> yeah <laughs> you're not know? not necessarily true so that's interesting it's like that's a cool thought experiment yeah for I, uh, for me uh, what Pastor Dave's talking about. Uh, it was uh, kind of. I remember it as a, a teenager. There were a couple people growing up that I was watching, and they were really brilliant men, and they were very quiet. And this was, uh, and uh, I remember I there was like a year that I vowed myself to silence, close to silence, because I wanted to be those guys. Everyone was listening to those guys, and this mm-hmm. and that, and it was like such false motivation but exactly that like i want to be that guy that doesn't say anything because it's gonna really make me you know people are really gonna look up to me for that (laughs) (laughs) no that's i mean that's quite a discussion because i mean i think uh just the idea that insecurity could be a form of pride is so so fascinating to me because i i always just like feel like instant compassion when someone expresses insecurities because I, I think, like, that's so honest, that's so refreshing that you're saying you're insecure. But, like, to think that that would be, like, inside-out pride, like, messes with my head a little bit. It's about the focus. I mean, we all have, like, our little neuroses that we struggle with, but it doesn't make them admirable to be external or internal, right? But, like, am I focused on learning how to live well and love other people in my life and and learn truth and reckon myself with reality or am i focused on protecting my little bubble of how i see things mm. whether it's by cutting myself off from others or by forcing my ideas on others mm. you know Whoa. so it's really self-preservation either way it's just right different expressions of it. it's it's different ways of preserving uh-huh. my little reality whether internally or externally versus like reconciling myself with other people and you know the way that things actually wow, are bro. that was that's so it's, that's very good it's almost like either way to engage reality you've got to get a little like dirt on your boots right and the guy who doesn't get dirt on his boots whether he's an extrovert or an introvert is, is in some way prideful yeah huh. self-deluding the dirt on your boots thing. I mean, to go back to Zizek, maybe to wrap, we could wrap it up. Um, what he was saying about um, 
I appreciate your determination to stay on topic. <laughs> well, no, I mean, it's good. Where we're going is good. I think it's probably a good chance to wrap it up is um, what he was saying about God coming in, wrong, right or wrong about the text, when God comes in and refutes the ideologies and says, like, Job's the right the right one. Job is the one that refused to believe that his the event had any real meaning, right? And he just wanted to contest his, you know, undeservingness of this situation to God. He didn't care to find out if it had meaning or not. Again, right or wrong, there's a lot of nuance in Job. And Job was in a funny place. He was wrapped in a bunch. So I'm not saying that Zizek was right or not. But this thing like where God comes in and says like, this universe is chaotic. Why should your life be any different? Um, this embracing of reality and the difficult nature of life and getting and relating properly to people and getting your feet dirty and living life well, like this is the thing that Job was ready to do. And it's why it's why God appreciated what Job and Elihu were saying and didn't appreciate the ideologues that were around him because they seemed to want to just convey their view to keep their idea alive or however it was if that was a subconscious motive or not i don't know we don't know but like it seems like the embracing of reality is the point and real wisdom happens in that relate embracing the moment that you're in and you find a form of wisdom in the awareness of the moment you know and uh that is that is the beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord. And if you were, if you're in a moment, like maybe you could say the beginning of the fear of the Lord is the fear of the moment or the recognition, the recognition of the moment, the gravity of the moment. Hmm. As if you can't recognize the moment, how could you fear God in the moment? How could you have a beginning of wisdom? You know, that the, maybe the concluding thought would be like, what is pure wisdom is, does it exist? And do we, what do we think about the way Bi the Bible describes like the spirit of wisdom? Like it seems like Proverbs has this recurring concept of an ideal wisdom. The woman is actually, it looks like it's either like a, you know, like a Christ, uh, Christ, uh, what do they call it? A Christophany, like some kind of a Christophany or uh, an expression of the spirit of God. Like she says, I was in the beginning when, you know, when the worlds were made, I was there. Oh, and, yeah. you know, you know, in, in Proverbs eight mm -hmm. and, uh, and, and nine, two, nine, two, seven, eight, nine in there, eight, definitely eight. Um, like I was there in the beginning. I'll give you, listen to me. All you fools come to me, you know, come into my house, you know, like she sends out her maidens to bring them in like this this effort of of wisdom or the effort of the mind that was in the beginning with God when everything was made the effort of that spirit for the benefit of mankind like uh do i believe in that in that thing in that in that uh body of knowledge infinite body of knowledge i mean Zizek doesn't i think he's he's in obviously a secular person so he he doesn't believe it in the way that I just said it. Um, but he's talking, right? He's using his rational mind. Is it is it the it, does it perfectly relate to this spirit of God? N no, not perfectly. But the fact that he's 
the fact that he's sussing out uh, false ideologies and uh, and the self-import of uh, the false wise man, and he's he's showing how trivial you know man's wisdom is. Like I would amen all of that, you know, and I would say that just the fact that he's sussing things out and he's willing to talk about it and he's and he's critical about these things means that he whether consciously or subconsciously appeals to you know what is there you know what is there what is actual and he i mean i I, i'm not here to you know say he's a great man but i i really found a lot of benefit in this clip yeah and uh and i appreciate it greatly and he obviously he's he's got strong words for you know our worldview but i would i would also have strong words for the christian world because i don't think that they what you guys are saying is so true like to have an awareness of what comes out of your mouth and why you know and to make sure that other people's benefit is 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 well placed in the center of my mind you know god's mind about other people you know is well placed in the center of my mind and and uh, informs my actions. Like this is something that we we believe that you can grow in. You know, we believe that you can uh, you can live a you can live a life where you care about people. It can actually happen, and words can come out of your mouth that will benefit other people. And it and it does you it does you a whole lot of service and the people around you to to. Uh, to carefully navigate that situation where you're saying things to other people to, you know, to direct them and to, and to have it come from a place where, you know, where, you know, it's going to benefit them. I actually know that telling my kid to get out of the street is going to benefit him. I know it and I'm sure of it and I'm sure of it for his, for his sake, you know, I'm sure of it in the moment for his sake. And if, if we're saying things in that vein, I think that we'll be, I think that we'll be in a better place to, speak wise words to people you know i believe that and obviously you can be wrong and we discuss that over and over again but if i'm constantly at the place where i'm wondering number one am i relating to truth properly should and then number two you know like do i have the right content number two is this the time to say it will this do anything good you know if i have something that really could benefit someone i know it's going to benefit them and i don't say it you know, I'd have to be careful of that too. I think. You guys have any closing ideas, thoughts, comments? Just thinking of how easy it is to demonize someone like Zizek, um, because of his worldview, when really he's helpful. And I think the the hunt for falsehood is like a righteous one, like to weed it out of our thinking process. It's just when we claim, not that we've destroyed error, but that we've, you know, grabbed hold of the truth. I think that's when it's it's dangerous. So, like, anybody in any worldview, Zizek included, Sam Harris, any of the guys we like to listen to or read, Nietzsche, in a way, in a righteous way, they hunted a lot of falsehood. And they, they helped weed those things out for believers and unbelievers alike. And we... Um, we should be grateful for that. It's just, do I follow them to the mountaintop where they claim they have the truth? And I think that's where um, our, our podcast, you know, kind of 
got interesting tonight. Like, when, when do I say I have it? When do I follow someone who says they have it? Or do we ever have it? Is it just this, like, mysterious pursuit that's, uh, 